Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Genesis Block podcast. So Genesis Block uh, if you guys are here for the first time is a podcast and newsletter analyzing crypto protocols and exploring the depths of web3. Um we're here to explore the web3 space from a fundamental angle focusing on protocol analysis. So we've got an investment template that we've created and we use it to fundamentally deeply and critically analyze web3 protocols. We do thematic analyses where we dive deep into web3 themes and narratives and provide our opinion on them and we do web3 community interviews as the one that we've got today here uh where we interview friends, family, colleagues and others working within the web3 space. Uh so welcome to um another episode and today we're going to be doing a uh web3 community um interview with Aki Balog. Um so I'll um you know I'll hand it over to Aki so you know Aki do you want to give a, a quick introduction to yourself and um you know j- just uh just an overview of your background how you got into crypto things like that Sure sure thanks for having me uh so yeah Aki Balog is born in Hungary in a smaller town called Debrecen grew up in Boston and Michigan um I had kind of a varied background I started coding when I was like 9 or 10 uh got into Perl at 13 Perl had regular expressions so that's like that was like the big light bulb moment for me did a CS degree did a business degree um did big data like analytics consulting back in 2007 2009 where we were using really like SQL databases and building models on it to kind of find insights got into the big data side of that Hadoop and then Spark uh, so I was a VC at OpenView looking at big data which turned into AI Then I started an AI company. I led that for eight years. We invented. We worked with some scientists and invented a way to use AI to optimize SEO, so content for SEO, uh, for for Google search. Uh, and then you know, many years after that, I raised money and built the company and so on. And then it came to crypto. I had actually heard about Bitcoin in 2011. I missed my, you know, first crack at it, uh but that's okay, you know, no time like the present. So I came back into it uh in 2019, 2020 and uh in a big way and just made this my full-time focus. And so my my um I guess part of the reason for giving you that context is my and I forgot to mention my father was a scientist, that's why we left Hungary. And so both with my AI company and with what we're doing here I always try to find like IP like academic IP that I can turn into a product commercialize you know find product market fit and build a business around and so when I came to crypto I actually there was one more little side story I'll tell you is that when I came to crypto I made an introduction for a friend of mine a guy who runs a, a software development firm called Dekai these Hungarian guys and they ended up winning the project to build the Chivo wallet for El Salvador oh, and cool. so um which is awesome so there were actually two Chivo wallets i don't know how public this is probably public enough you know the first chivo wallet failed miserably <laughs> had a lot of challenges and <laughs> yep. then these guys were brought into like okay so you guys know about so i didn't just like spill the beans on geopolitical drama but yeah so these guys were brought in to fix it and they worked i mean day and night tirelessly and they came out the second chivo wallet which had like 250,000 daily active users and 4 million cumulative users within like 2 weeks of launch and 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 it just like really for me you know especially coming into crypto full time at that time it really opened my eyes that bitcoin has crossed the chasm 
it's you know being used by early adopters but it's also being used by people with like little pupusa carts or whatever just a general populace and that for me other than i mean i love ethereum and all the chains but it seems like bitcoin has like a really simple value prop that people can kind of understand and use and so i decided to look for ip on bitcoin long story short decided to look for ip on bitcoin and I found this white paper that was uh, published by the guy, uh, the, the main Bitcoin thinker at MIT, this guy, Tad Strija, who co-created the Lightning Network. And right before he published the Lightning white paper, he published a DLC white paper in 2018, where he outlines this sort of smart contract type interaction on Bitcoin. And it seemed really interesting. So I started picking it up and playing it with it. And uh, with my and, and found my co-founder Jesse around that time as well, and we started looking at it, and we realized that wait a moment, this is actually quite powerful because DLCs are basically escrow for Bitcoin. It's the ability to take Bitcoin, lock it in a multi-sig, but lock it in an escrow, and use it on other chains uh, like Ethereum or any chain. Uh, and it's it's not a bridge, it's not a custodial, it's not a wrapped Bitcoin. It's something completely new. And 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 we also got lucky around that time because Taproot came out and Taproot enabled these DLC features. So yep. basically, we started long story short, we started building a company around you know implementing DLCs and plugging it into different protocols and wallets and just making this DLC thing a reality. Perfect. And no, that's super interesting. Yash, I can see you've got a question. Oh uh, well, yeah. I guess we're just gonna dive in, right? Um. So. My first question is, you said that your solution uses a, a multi-sig that allows Bitcoin to be used natively on other chains. Can you dive into that, what, what that means exactly? Because a multi-sig, as you know, it can be vulnerable to hacks, as we saw from Ronin. And how is a multi-sig more secure than like a custody solution, like something like Rap Bitcoin? Yep, yep. So the biggest difference between a DLC and like a bridge is for a bridge, you need a validator network. So you have this consensus network that is a party to the multi-sig and you have these, you know, these nodes are syncing and you lock value in the nodes and they maintain state. And if someone to your point, you know, hacks a node, then they can drain the funds. Uh, and, and that's a vulnerability point. DLCs were built by design, really the math was designed by Taj to be very different. He actually, without getting too deep into it, and I, I'm not a crypto mathematician either, but just having read the, the paper uh, a few times, um, he actually kind of re-engineered, uh, reverse, well, not reverse engineered, but he kind of reconfigured how Schnorr signatures are used. And he uh, has this entity, this off-chain entity, he called an Oracle, which we now call an attester, and I can get into the details of why, but he had this off-chain entity that sort of referees the escrow, but the escrow is between two parties. It's between the user with the Bitcoin and the, let's say the protocol they wanna plug into. Like, let's say I wanna take a loan. Right now we're plugging into a platform called Arcade XYZ. It's an NFT type platform. So if I wanna take a loan through Arcade, I can put up my Bitcoin in a, in a two of two with, with a representative of Arcade side uh, and, and basically lock it that way. And so, and, and, and in a DLC too, when you deposit Bitcoin, you pre-sign the conditional outcomes. There's two ways that money can flow in, in, in the way we're implementing. You can get repaid or you get liquidated. I mean, basically it's a redemption or liquidation. Um, and so when I put my Bitcoin in, I pre-sign those two cases and so does the other party. 
And from then on, there's only the only those two things. There are no other validators. The, the attester is involved in structuring that contract, if you will, but they are not a party to the contract in the way that we think about like a signer. It's not a 203. Um, and I can get into like the more technical of, of all of this, but but basically uh, it's just an agreement between me and Arcade in this case, and the money can only move two ways. And there's no way for a hacker to drain the funds and send it to a third address. So uh, is it kind of B2B in a way where it's singular in interactions between two defined entities and it's not an entire network interacting with another network? That's so correct. it's just secured between two parties, between themselves without needing any, uh, you know, validators to validate the transaction. That's absolutely right. So we don't have a validator network. We don't have a token. There isn't, it's not anything. And we've partnered with Chainlink and they are, of course, a leader in building decentralized Oracle networks and using it. But we just, we, we actually don't do most of the complicated stuff. We just build this into different wallets and different lending protocols and it's not all lending, but primarily lending uses Bitcoin collateral. So hosting Bitcoin collateral is sort of most useful there uh, or more, most frequently used there. Um, and we build it in. And then you end up with these like decentralized escrows all over the place. So all over the, uh, the Bitcoin chain, you'll have these decentralized escrows that are individual. And the cool thing is the way that it was designed uh, also in the white paper is the attesters, although they facilitate the transaction, they structure they don't know who the two parties are. So the attester layer, and we provide attesters or people can run their own or whatever, but um, but the attesters don't know uh, the, the who I am, the details of the transaction. They don't even know if there is a transaction. All the attester is doing is they're using their private key to publish numbers into like a public space. So basically it's kind of, it's like, I'll give an example. Like let's say you and I, uh, want to escrow some funds because I'm buying some coin from you or whatever. Um, you and I might go to a lawyer, just a random lawyer on the street, you know, who passed the bar and is licensed and say, hey, you know, structure this contract for us so that it's fair legally for both parties. Cool, we get that contract. And then later, the you know, the trade has happened and the lawyer's like, all right, I attest to it. I see the trade has happened or you sent the funds or whatever, you know, done. Um, and then it attests to it. The way this is implemented in software is the attester basically when you create the escrow, um, the, you have these two conditional outcomes, they're called CETs, but anyway, they're called, uh, they're like contract execution, you know, potential outcomes. And so the attester publishes a number for one and a number for the other one. Like, hey, attester, give me two numbers, eight and 26. And so it just publishes two numbers and the parties grab the numbers and build it into these pre-signatures. And then later, when in Arcade, let's say in Arcade, you have this ETH contract that says, oh, Aki's been liquidated, sends a signal to the attester saying, for this contract, it's a liquidation. And the attester said, all right, well, here's another number. That number is called a discrete log, but it's just a number. And then the parties grab it and use that to complete. And then it's a complete Bitcoin transaction. It just executes automatically and, and the escrow flows. And how does the messaging work between the blockchains? Like how does the messaging work between Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example? Yeah, we're implementing that. You know, that's one of the pieces that we built. There's a listener. So basically on the, the testers, 
which the only goal of the attester is to secure the Bitcoin side. And the only thing the attesters do is publish one number and then publish another number. So the attesters listen to these, these ETH uh, contracts and basically just get the signal from there. So they, we have these like a listener or observer layer, you know, built alongside the attesters, uh, but that's just it. And then they can verify on chain that that was the signal. Um, there are a lot of ways to do that. So it's just pretty much just like, it's, it's less of a mess. It's an event that basically is translated. It's like translating an instruction from Spanish to Chinese. It's like, oh, I heard this in Spanish. In Chinese, this is the word. Okay, go for it. Cool. No, I think that makes sense. Um, and then just, you know, talking about the attesters uh, themselves, do you want to like expand a little bit more um, on the role that the, att the attesters play? Um, who can be attesters, you know, and what, what, what just around some of the infrastructure maybe that they may need to have. Um, and, you know, then I have a specific question around the attesters if, uh, uh, you know, if that's not covered in your answer. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll give you, I mean, we're kind of in an alpha stage, so pre-production. So this is subject to change. We're targeting production in Q3-ish, so we're not too far off. Uh, we've been developing this for over a year now. So, but, you know, everything I said kind of subject to change a little bit, but the attester can be anywhere. So you can have one attester or you can have multiple attesters. Um, there's some arguments as to why you might want to have just one attester because there's like a lot more to lose and whatever. I don't know. I, I personally think that multi-attester is the way to go. You can have 99 out of 100. Let's say you have a pool of 10,000 attesters. You pick, you know, the system picks 100 at random using a verifiable random, you know, function picks 100 at random and you know we're waiting for 99 attestations out of 100 to to you know execute the DLC all of this is programmable but the attester can be anyone so it can be um, you know a, a, a series of it can be funded like done by like nonprofits or foundations they can run attesters um, we offer an attestation service where we just have a bunch of attesters on different node operators and we offer that as a service um, big companies might want to run their own attesters, so they might want to have their IT team, you know, maintain their attesters. Um, our argument is generally that in, in most cases, you want the attestation to be separate than the protocol, because like you, you don't want, if you if I'm taking a loan from you, I don't want the lawyer securing the contract to work for you. It seems like collusion potentially. That was what I was going to ask. Yeah, so we're kind of this like third party escrow not an escrow agent, but an escrow service in a way that kind of, you know, uh, helps uh, ensure, uh, you know, kind of safety and privacy. But um, but anyway, um, but but that's kind of, so there's different options. Um, and the tester, we're kind of packaging it up into like a single, you know, node that can be deployed, but it's basically like a Docker where you have, you know, an ETH node and, a, you know, Bitcoin node, and then you've got the attester and you've got the observers, the observer, and you can have any number of these. Um, these are all configurable. The, the white paper doesn't specify kind of any best practices. In fact, the, the white paper called this a Bitcoin Oracle. And when we first started, and especially because we got funding from Chainlink in the beginning, um, we we also thought we're building like a, another decentralized Oracle network. And then it was only later when we realized that the, you know, although it's an off-chain entity to do this attestation, but we actually don't have anything really to do with the oracles directly, because the way it works, like in the in the case of a loan, is you know, let's say Bitcoin price drops, 
Chainlinks network picks up on the price, reports the price to the lending protocol. The lending protocol smart contract does a health score calculation, finds that you've been liquidated, then it generates the event that sends to the attesters for execution. So it really like, you know, the, we don't have to have price feeds and things. We don't have to supply price feeds. The, the, whatever, whatever the uh, protocol the lender chooses to, uh, I'm sorry, whatever lending protocol the user chooses to trust, like if I'm taking a loan from Aave, I have chosen to trust their smart contracts and the Oracle system that they selected. And that's just all like a decision I made. And if I don't want to trust Aave, I can trust somebody else. And if I don't want to trust anyone, then I don't take a loan from an external party. Then I just hold on to it, and that's fine too. So, so it's all kind of the complexity is is sort of behind the abstracted away. The abstracted away behind the smart contract that kind of sends the signal. And from an institutional perspective, um, just to you know um, summarize some of what you just said, essentially there's a choice. Uh, for protocols and, uh, you know, to choose the attesters that they want on the Bitcoin side of things. So, for example, you've got a third-party escrow service that can be used as a trusted escrow service if you're, you know, you're happy with past performance, things like that. Or you could introduce your own attestation service on the Bitcoin blockchain um, that verifies that the, that the funds that are being used on another blockchain are actually on the Bitcoin blockchain. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I can see other reasons why organizations might want to cho choose to run their own attester layer. And we can help obviously set that up or we can just provide, you know, the best documentation we can. Uh, but, um, you know, there could be regulatory, there could be geographic or other, you know, political. I, I, I'm not an expert, but but then we also, you know, for the purpose of kind of maximizing performance and privacy, we also offer our solution that is a a simple SaaS model, we just charge for it um, because there is no token, because the, the nodes don't need to kind of sync on state. We don't need tokens and token staking and that whole kind of thing. Uh, so it's more just like a SaaS offering where if you want to use the network, we just charge you for it. Cool. And uh, just one last question for me around this. Um, so if you, uh, is there any type of like identity verification um, or done on like the, uh, done on the attesters? So for example, you know, do they have to, uh, is there a way to prove that they're trusted or, you know, um, a, and is there a process for onboarding an attester? And actually the second part of that would be, um, you know, if you want to set up your own attester, what is the, how technically difficult is it? Like what, are there any processes that need to be set up? Like what is the difficulty level of setting up your own tester and how do you do that? It, it shouldn't be too hard. We have we have it kind of dockerized. Um, I don't immediately know if it's on our GitHub in a public repo, but it probably it should be or will be if it isn't already. And or you know if someone wants that ping me offline and we can we can you know share that code. But but it shouldn't be too hard because it is so simple. Um, the only important part of the attester or the only kind of the biggest point of failure is the private key management. So mm -hmm. if you know somebody loses the private key of the attester, that's a really that then it can't be, I mean, what are you going to do then? So then that attester or those attesters will just not be able to participate. It, that would be that would be tough. So we offer some kind of guidelines and you know vault technology done made by third parties that you know can help with that, help safeguard that. But um but otherwise it, it should be uh should be fairly straightforward. Um um, yeah, and, and so we, I mean, and 
from a you know just a uh, implementation standpoint to date we have been uh, just running our own testers but uh, but as we go into production second half of this year uh, that'll just we'll, we'll just you know we're already working with some node operators and kind of getting that out there um, and so we'll have a, a little more specific picture of exactly what the steps are but it, it, sh it should not be difficult at, at all cool and and just on the the first part of that sorry just on the first part of that like is there like who can be in a tester right like are there any requirements and is there any identity oh, right. verification identity. or anything like how do you, yeah sorry yeah right right now for our service we provide i mean this is all configurable by the the protocol so for example for arcade they have you know chosen us as the partner to implement dlcs and implement native bitcoin through dlcs you know in, as a partnership so we're setting up the attestation network for them. Um, and so we're basically just, you know, we're, we're just handling that. Um, uh, we're finding, you know, reputable node operators that can run. Basically the, the, the value prop of the attesters are just, or the, the key success factor is uptime. So just keeping the nodes running because you just don't want the nodes to disappear. If the attesters, you know, let's say a, a data center fails or server fails or something, and, and the attesters suddenly disappear, then um, it wouldn't, the funds wouldn't disappear, of course, they're all on Bitcoin, but the um, the transaction would fail. So it'd go back to the lending protocol, say, hey, you know, you want to liquidate, I just can't do that right now, please try again later. And then when the nodes are back up with the same private keys, you know, they can be restarted, then the transactions go through. So there isn't a loss of funds, it's just the poor user experience. Um, so anyway, we you know we provide that, but but if if a different protocol chooses not to use any any of our services, of course, um, and they just want to build their own attesters and so on, then they can do that and just wire it that way. Cool. Yeah. Sorry, you had a question. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to walk through the entire transaction. So let's say I have some Bitcoin in my Bitcoin wallet, and I want to take out a stablecoin loan on my Bitcoin. Uh, so I would take that Bitcoin and I would, uh, you know, upload it or connect it to your network. And then, you know, how does that proceed then? Yep. Uh, who do you connect with? And then how do you take that money off Ethereum into your wallet? Yep, yep. So uh, common, I'm glad you asked because it's a common misconception or it's like kind of the first thing where people's brains go having been, you know, using bridges. We, we don't have a network. Um, so what, what we do is we plug... So we have we have we offer three things as a kind of a consultancy. So one is we offer a, a DLC signing library that's built into Bitcoin wallets. So in order to enter into a DLC, you have to use a Bitcoin wallet that supports DLC signing. Um, and it's not you know it, it, we just follow the white paper and there's an open source DLC specification and we have this library, but we build that into wallets. So right now we've, we've built into a Bitcoin wallet called Xverse, and we're building into the next wallet called Hero, and we talked to a lot of Bitcoin wallets. So today you have to start with Xverse wallet because it's the only Bitcoin wallet that uses the DLC code and for our alpha. Um, and we actually have a video on our Twitter that you know walks through this. Then you have to go to a lending protocol that supports DLC, you know, that has the DLC integration built in. So there's two functions that need to be implemented. For example, um, in Solidity, uh, it's the open DLC function and the closed DLC function. So there's, smart, there's a smart contract for that. Um, and, and those are implemented on the lender side. 
and then kind of the UX is designed. So anyway, you have to take Xverse Wallet and then you have to go to Arcade, which is our alpha lending protocol. And so in Xverse, you lock uh, Bitcoin um, into, and we do have a page for this. We call it our broker service. So it, it is a, a service, but candidly, we're moving that to custodians like BitGo uh, so that they can be the custodian if there's, and I can explain why you need that. Um, but basically, if the NFT is traded, you need somebody to be able to send you the Bitcoin that you, you know, if you burn that NFT and you're not the original person, the DLC, then yeah, you need to go to someone to get the Bitcoin. So there's a broker service there, but uh, it doesn't have to be us doing it. Um, but basically, you, you lock Bitcoin to get a, a, a bit. And so you authenticate with Xverse Wallet and you authenticate with, let's say, MetaMask and you lock Bitcoin and you get a Bitcoin back NFT in your MetaMask, and then you can list that on Arcade, borrow against it. It's denominated in Bitcoin. So if you lock half a Bitcoin, then you're gonna have a half Bitcoin NFT. You can borrow on it and then they'll do their liquidation logic. And if you, you know, and, and, and then if that NFT is burned, then whichever wallet address burned the NFT can redeem a half Bitcoin from the, 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 the broker service. Cool. And, and with regards to the integrations that you mentioned on both sides, how complex are they? And, and you know, like how much time would it take to do them? How, how easy is it? Like, for example, an Aave to integrate, um, you know, a DLC link, integrate, uh, you know, into, uh, in, into their systems, essentially into the protocol to be able to accept these Bitcoin NFTs and, and, you know, um, things like that. Yeah, it, it depends on the, um, on what has been built today. So for example, on the wallet side, if it's a Bitcoin wallet that supports Taproot and Schnorr signatures already, uh, and, and I think uh, also BAC32, which should be in there, then, then it should not be too difficult. Uh, that we can kind of plop the library in, takes a couple of weeks, maybe less time. Really part of it is just designing the user interface to have this section where you have locked Bitcoin and how does the user kind of navigate that? So it's, it can be done in a few weeks. Um, which which is what we're doing with Hero right now, Hero Wallet. Um, so that's that's fairly easy. Um, on the protocol side, it depends on the complexity of the system. So in the case of Arcade, they're taking an NFT and they're just borrowing against it or lending against it. That's very straightforward already. They're built. They're quite literally built for that. But we are also working with CFI, uh, you know, companies where it's more used to post collateral for trading ops. And there are more complex systems. And so there can be quite a bit of you know, implementation design. And that's really what we do as DLC Link is we're implementation consultants because the DLC is open source. The network can be, anybody can run the network or we can you know, provide the service, but it's really not, you know, not beholden to us as a company. So really what we do as a company is we, we build this into the systems and we make it work. Cool. No, that makes sense. Um, and and in terms of scaling the system, do you how how do you envision scaling it? Like for example, how do you envision making the integrations more generic so you can go and plug and play um, rather than like you know requiring bespoke integrations, which adds to cost and you know that might inhibit adoption. Yep. Yeah. This is this is why um, I, I think so. For those who I don't know if people are familiar with Cloudera. 
it was a big deal when I was in big data many years Might ago. Might be worth uh, just giving a bit of an overview. Sure, sure. It's yeah. kind of a little bit of a difference. Uh, so in the big data kind of space, when this technology called Hadoop came out and everybody was just, it was all the rage, there's this company, Cloudera, that just made it easy to use Hadoop because Hadoop itself was open source, but it was kind of like an operating system for big data. It came with a bunch of components. And each component had to be implemented and into a, a company's specific infrastructure. And so Cloudera had kind of generic modules, and then they would, you know, build it into, you know, your particular environment. That's basically what we aim to be is we aim to be the supporting kind of open source, the, the, the company that supports the sort of open source middleware. And so as we, you know, evolve our libraries, we'll make it easier and easier. Um, it, I would say it's not it's not particularly hard. Each individual step is not particularly hard, but there's about five or six things that have to be wired up. And it could be 12 or 15 things, depending on the environment. You know, do they have some sort of MPC wallet, you know, multi-user authentication thing? Um, do they have, you know, are they using a, a blockchain or are they using like a centralized system? I mean, there's just a lot of pieces that that need to be, What what is the UX, you know, uh, is the wallet, uh, does the wallet only support Bitcoin chain or does it support multi-chain? Do you need two different wallets? If so, which wallets? You know, there, there's just a lot of kind of uh, usability stuff that uh, we end up getting involved in. But that's what we aim to do is to just, to your point, get more efficient over time and make things easier and easier. And, and to be fair to us, I think we've done that. A year ago, we just had prototypes and now we have, you know, quite a few repos on our GitHub. We have some documentation. If anything's missing, please let me know. Um, and it's just, you know, it just gets easier and easier over time. And then we also have kind of premium features where, for example, you know, if you want to run a big multi-attester network, that's more of a premium offering we can help with. If it's a single attester, that's fine. Um, a lot of what we end up doing is really just uh, talking about DLCs and educating and just kind of, you know, um, helping companies brainstorm or teams brainstorm on, you know, what problems could be solved with DLCs, what are we seeing elsewhere. Um, so a lot of it is just product marketing. We try to keep our blog active. We have a lot of videos on our YouTube. We try to publish a video at least once a month, but sometimes every week, just kind of visualizing it. So it's it's a it's a broad, you know, space. Um, DLCs are just a horizontal layer and yep. so we're just basically popularizing the layer makes sense cool awesome uh so now now that we've kind of understood what you guys do i was thinking we could uh take a step back and ask you some more uh general questions about uh crypto that we would you know ask any of our guests uh yeah. so the first one is uh you know a very obvious one which you know there are countless debates over but what is your take on uh bitcoin versus ethereum why do you, I guess, since you're working with Bitcoin, do you have a bias towards Bitcoin being the better asset? Are you neutral between both? And what? And do you hold either or both of them as well? Oh yeah, I, I hold both uh, and I hold other other things as well. I, I, I think crypto is really interesting because it's both like computer science and cryptography and crowdfunding and, gambling and trading and you know it's, it's a lot of stuff going on at the same time and it's kind of geopolitical you know uh, uh independence or sovereignty 
so I love the, I also have for Discord, I also have some Bitcoin miners. So I'm, I'm into the kind of self-sovereignty value of Bitcoin. But I think that Ethereum has built a tremendously powerful, you know, compute, cloud compute kind of system uh, and, and smart contracts and the whole kind of ecosystem around it, um, the L2s and so on. So I think it's quite powerful. I also have, you know, Solana and Cosmos. I think Cosmos is really interesting and Polkadot. And I'm kind of a, a multi-chain, you know, person uh, by, by nature. But um, I think I think they will, as as time goes on, and it's it feels like it's been a long time, but it hasn't even been like 15 years. It's been actually a very short amount of time for humanity to kind of understand what these technologies mean. But I think as time goes on, the, they will separate a little bit Bitcoin and the you know the the hash rate security of miners and the simplicity of Bitcoin, is, which is by design, but it really builds on you know decades of academia. So if I can think of a place to put like my digital money or digital currency, you know Bitcoin is a great place to put that. Um, is it the money that I use uh, every day or all the time? No, because it's slow and and, and inefficient and you know, high gas fees usually, especially right now with all the minting on BRC20 going on, whatever. But basically it's <laughs> like my savings account. Like it's my digital savings account and I can move funds if I need to, but I like to keep them there. And gosh, I'd love to earn a return on that while that's sitting there for decades. And then ETH is the, you know, is like Amazon Web Services or cloud computer, whatever the analogy is. And so the applications are built on that. Can you also have applications on Bitcoin? Sure. And I'm sure there are, you know, over, over the years, there are going to be more and more examples of, you know, an application. It's, it's a little bit of a brain twist to think of an application you would access from your savings account versus your checking account. But let's say like my credit cards pull from my checking and my investment fund plugs into savings, or I'm not sure what the analogy is, but, but there are kind of different flavors. So I'm excited to see ordinals, you know, BRC twenties, Bitcoin layer twos, drive chains. I think all of that is really cool. Does it, you know, advantage us to think of a Bitcoin only world where ETH like disappears? I don't think that makes any sense. I I don't see why that would happen. Um, clearly, it hasn't been proven out empirically. Clearly, there's demand and smart people working on non-Bitcoin things. So I think it's a multi-chain. I think we live in a multi-chain world, whether people you know love it or not. That's what it is. Um, do I think Bitcoin will like go away? Like will vanish after reaching you know billions or trillions in market cap, wherever it got to on the last high? I don't think it's going to disappear. People are building miners for a reason, or buying miners and building mining networks. Uh, I think I think it's just going to coexist. And it's kind of like, you know, I mean, maybe this is a simple analogy, but we have like Windows and Unix. So in the 90s, we had the Windows, MS-DOS and Windows, and we had Unix, which was like Linux. Fast forward to today, I mean, Unix was like the really boring one. Like a lot of non-engineers don't even, might not even know what Unix is. But Unix today is what powers Apple, uh, AWS, Android, like it, it, Unix is behind everything. And then you have Microsoft Windows and Azure, which is another thing. And so the, I think Bitcoin over time will be more ubiquitous because it'll be kind of this invisible, really boring layer that only some, you know, diehard engineers work on, but it's quite valuable and broadly adopted. And then ETH and other chains will be more commercially focused, which is like Microsoft today. Cool. That's a very interesting viewpoint. Um... 
Yeah, and in, in general, you know, like what, what are the facets of crypto and, and blockchains that excite you the most? Like what are the qualities? What what exactly uh, makes you want to wake up and go like, okay, I'm going to, you know, go and build DLC link today. It's, it's going to be fun. And this is why I enjoy being in this space. Yeah, one thing that's interesting that I never, six months ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you this, but um, I think NFTs are really exciting now. NFT fine. So I'm into DeFi uh, and, you know, because it's a really cool alternative to CeFi, we all, you know, know that, but NFT-Fi is this kind of emerging space, and I'm talking about Arcade, XYZ, or Paraspace, or, you know, NFT-Fi, or whomever, um, Ave, I guess, has now an NFT thing, or they're coming out with one, uh, the Uniswap V3 uh, pro uh, protocol enables, you know, the LP tokens, which lets people take loans on NFTs and so on, kind of from like not a pool but something different and and so I, I think that's really interesting because you know contracts in traditional finance are nfts they're not current like when you go take a loan you're not like taking a loan in some different currency or whatever you're you know the loan contract is unique to you it's got your name and your address and your you know uh the information they gathered in due diligence you've got your ucc lien that's also unique to you and so NFT, it will, you know, not the so much the although I value art, not so much the artistic representation of NFT, but the financial instrumentation instrument representation of NFTs, uh, NFT is I think is going to be a big part of you know what we see over the coming years. Cool. Yeah, I definitely agree sense. with that. Um, I think a very interesting thing that could happen with NFT is hopefully if you know the tokenization of real world assets uh, continues and we start tokenizing, you know, things like real estate and contracts and other things like that as NFTs. Uh, we already have a system built out to leverage those and that could great, like it, it could make li liquid assets a lot more liquid in the future. And there would be a whole secondary economy around these assets that wouldn't exist. So it's basically creating a new pie uh, which is very interesting to build towards. And the only hurdle I can see towards that is regulation. Um, so with that, what do you think about, uh, you know, the future of crypto adoption in, you know, various countries of the world? And uh, what would it take for crypto to get adopted at a mass level? Because currently it's still looked at as a niche technology that only few know how to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess two two main thoughts, and I'm definitely not a, an expert on kind of SEC and regulatory bodies and so on. But um, it, I guess in my in my uneducated state, one thing is you, you cannot stop technology. I mean, governments. Uh, there was an example years ago of you could see how much corruption is in a country by seeing how fast are they to kick Uber out. When Uber arrives in a new country, does it stay and thrive, or do they kick it out? And if so, how quickly? The quicker they kick it out, the more corruption in that you know country. Um, and but but you know by and large, I mean uh, you cannot keep Uber or any kind of beneficial technology that's demanded by um, you know. And why do people demand Uber or these technologies? Because it's much more convenient, it's safer, you know, it's much more traceable. Yada yada. You know, we all know all the benefits of Uber. We'll apply that to crypto. I mean, this last couple of months, it seems like the U.S. have you know, had, and kind of understandably, I mean, you know, we had Terraluna, FTX, Yadio, Celsius. I mean, it's just been like a, you know, a parade of bad news. 
So of course, you know, the first reaction of many people, especially people who are not into crypto is like, oh my God, this stuff is like toxic and like, let's get rid of it. Can we get rid of it, please? But, but you know, the, it, obviously there are a lot of, and our brains kind of naturally do that. Like we see the risk first before we see the opportunity. That's how, at least the ones that, that survived did that. Um, so there's that, but that's, I think, a hurdle. I think once there's more kind of general knowledge, it'll become more, and then the other part is, I think it's a really great question of like, how can we make this more broadly usable? Well, we need to make this more broadly usable because it is just, you know, this stuff was designed by engineers, a little bit for engineers and, and just the user experience. We just need better user experiences. Um, I mean, the difference, but if I drastically simplify our value prop, the difference with implementing DLCs and working with us is kind of like, we want to enable the same use cases as bridges except it never fails, it never gets hacked and it never blows up and it just stands the test of time. And if there are nine bridge companies and, and what we do, and we just kind of over five years, the other nine blow up and we're still around, well, that's that would be a terrible case because that would be not how we want things to go. But then it has said, so the test of time and just people you know, build it in and it's fine. Um, similarly, any kind of good beneficial technology, I'm a big fan of Aave, for example, big fan of Chainlink and Pith. And, you know, there's definitely some things that, you know, feel like they should exist. And, uh, and, and, and those, you know, should just, um, you know, we should just kind of simplify the UX, take out the, you know, edge cases, make the wallets easier to use. I mean, the whole shit. Um, I personally don't think that having like a seed phrase stored somewhere, I don't think that's like crazy hard, but I guess some people think it's very hard. Uh, that's fine. I guess we could have Wells Fargo or whoever I bank with maybe store this year. I don't know. But like definitely, um, definitely there's some, you know, things that need to be figured out in conjunction with the broader world we live in. But to call it kind of crypto a pariah or to look at it as like all bad or all like stupid frog coins or whatever that are, you know, like it, it you know, that that that's a drastic oversimplification of the real science yep. and engineering that's behind it. this. Uh, that, that make yeah I, I completely agree with you on that um and you know like just going back to the the dlc link point right like one of the one of the questions that i wanted to ask earlier also was you know th there's quite a lot um of demand for a product like dlc link if it works exactly the way that you know you um you've explained it and that's because um on ethereum one of the biggest pain points I mean, well it's not a big pain point but it is it is a risk um, is to use wrapped versions of Bitcoin, um, wrapped versions of different types of assets, not being able to use them from, you know, the native chain um, directly and prove that they're there. Um, in this case, also, you'd be using a Bitcoin NFT, but that NFT would be a lot more, I guess, um, verifiable and uh, and there would be like verifiable trust around that, that NFT, uh, you know, representing the Bitcoin that is stored on the native blockchain. So um, in terms of actually you know, making sure that the, the benefits of the use case that you're talking about and the benefits of the product that you're talking about actually get implemented within some of the protocols that you mentioned. Like, for example, I'm a delegate on Aave and, um, you know, there, there is quite a lot of the considerations that we have around risk parameters are to understand, you know, okay, this is a rough token. This is a, this is a liquid stake token. Um, how do we adjust the risk appropriately to account for it being a wrapper? Right. So how do you actually uh, make sure that the obvious demand that is on one side of the bridge um, is, is met 
um, and and how do you essentially plan to market it to integrate it to prove that the uh, that DLC link works and to actually uh, to to you know utilize it within these dif different types of protocols on Ethereum and other blockchains that you know have a have a pretty high need for it. Yeah. So the the Bitcoin backed NFTs where people are producing in with our alpha are are wrapped. I would call them wrapped. I just call them self wrapped. You know, yeah. because you wrapped it, you are the custodian of the funds. Um, well, the multi-sig is the custodian, but you're one of the two parties. That's as, as close as self as you can get, I think. Yeah. Um, so so that probably might be another designation, or it could be considered a real-world asset itself, which is kind of funny. Bitcoin as a real-world asset, but, you know, uh, it Yeah, that's sense. funny. It's a little bit, of, but, but that's probably the most likely designation for it. Um, a collateralized asset um, that happens to be a digital asset. Um, so, so, so there's that. Um, I would say that the downside of implementing DLCs is they need to be implemented one by one, protocol by protocol. There isn't like one service that any you know lending platform can just pull from, and you know there isn't the pool, etc. So, so we have to go protocol by protocol and implement one by one. Right now, um, Arcade is the first. Um, there's another one called Arcadeco. We have a video of it. They've implemented it on a, on a chain called Stacks. Um, and then there are some other ones queued up for the next couple of months and, and it'll be a little bit more predominant. But then to your earlier point, the implementation process will be faster too as we you know do more of these. Um, so, um, and then they have to also be implemented to Bitcoin wallets. So my biggest kind of wish list ask for this year is that you know bitcoin wallets broadly adopt taproot and then dlcs whether they use our library or some other library it doesn't matter but bitcoin wallets need to be able to do dlcs in my view it's like they need to be able to do that and lightning and and then ordinals and whatever so so anyway um uh once it's adopted in most places or met let's say the 80 20 rule 80% of the value, like the, the five largest wallets that hold 80% of the value can do it. If you could do it in Ledger, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then it's in a couple of protocols that people use frequently. And they have to be NFT five protocols because it's a real world asset. So, um, you know, like Arcade. So once it's in a couple of places, I think it'll just kind of over the years, you know, grow into it. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, the downside is it has to be built in one by one. But when you say the NFT five wallets, like can you, uh, sorry, NFT NFT five protocols, um, can you borrow stable coins on those? Like, what are the types yeah. of assets? Can you only borrow NFTs? No, you can't. That's so these NFT five, like um, like uh, um, Arcade, Paraspace, uh, Nifty Fi, I think Bendow. There's a couple of these. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and, and so you can put in like a board ape and pull out USDC or ETH or whatever, and then you can take that ETH and liquid stake it. Or you can take that USDC and put it into like Goldfinch and earn a return. Yep. So as so, I think the longer term vision is basically like building this as a package into Goldfinch. Let's say, where like, do you want to deposit Bitcoin into Goldfinch today? You can only deposit stables, but if you deposit Bitcoin, then that you know use this wallet here, and then that actually in the background mints an NFT, borrows against you know does all that, and then boom, you're like now earning a return on your Bitcoin. But you as a user don't have to care because you just did like one action and it just works. That would be the long-term, you know, landing place for this. Cool. Awesome. Uh, no, I think that's a, that's a very good answer. And yeah, I think um, 
you know, that's mostly it for me. I think we've learned a lot about uh, DLC Link and, uh, you know, about your experience and your journey in crypto. And honestly, what you're trying to build is very cool. Um, if if you guys pull it off and, you know, if we get adoption um, at scale, I think it's a massive thing for the space because people, because, because honestly, Bitcoin is the most held asset across crypto and people want to make sure that they can use their native Bitcoin to actually earn yield. Um, and that's honestly one of the biggest, um, you know, I, I guess issues uh, with Bitcoin and people understanding its value proposition where it was like, oh, what can you actually do with it? But, you know, you can actually do things with it now um, if, if you know, the vision that you guys are, are building towards actually is pulled off. But no, kudos to you guys. And and, and thanks for, you know, build, trying to innovate um, on such an important blockchain as Bitcoin. You know, people need to focus on that as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. if you want to add anything as well. Yeah, I really like what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, there's always that Bitcoin versus ETH debate happening, but you guys have just put that to the side and you guys are saying Bitcoin is a valuable asset. ETH has a valuable network of dApps. So why not let them cohabitate and actually synergize and let Bitcoin, you know, kind of come into DeFi in a much bigger way because there is there are, like Sid said, so many Bitcoin holders out there. Entire countries like El Salvador only use Bitcoin, right? So huge market out there for you guys and very excited to see what you guys do and hope you guys succeed. I appreciate it. Yeah, I call this, uh, I'll just say one thing, I know we've got to wrap up. I call this a bipartisan bill because Bitcoiners like it because it's self-custody and ETH likes it, you yep. know, multi-chain likes it because you got liquidity and it's just everybody wins and, you know, hackers lose and that's it. <laughs> so um, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. Perfect. Yeah. And what I like even more is that you have not tokenized for no reason. You've actually thought about it and your SaaS model does make more sense in this case. And yeah. kudos for not tokenizing and making it seem like a cash grab, which most projects seem to be doing these days. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's because I'm in my mid, mid to late 30s. and I, For me, it's just, let's just build it. Let's build it the right way. And I'm not really tempted uh, i mean is it everyone's tempted i guess we're all human but let's just build the thing it would be a disservice to people and to society honestly if we built it the wrong way so we're we can only build it the right way even if it makes it you know we get passed by investors sometimes because they need a token and they want to dump it it's like you know sorry we just don't have in the future we might have a token on some level if there's a governance what i don't know it's not in our plans i i mean i can't say never but it just, the system is too straightforward to need extra pieces. Yep. Makes a lot of sense from my perspective. No, that, that's the kind of critical thought we need uh, in this space. But no, thanks so much, Aki, for, for joining us uh, on this episode of Genesis Block and telling our listeners uh, about the wonderful world of uh, building on Bitcoin um, and building DLC links. So thanks so much. And yeah, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, guys. Thank you.